Good morning, everyone. Today's reading comes from Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed in camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering him to him. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. Well, good morning. We are officially... For the first time, actually now in Mark. Now, technically, we've actually been in Mark for the last three weeks, but we are kicking off our study in the Gospel of Mark. And uh, before I get to the text, just by way of introduction, last night I was with my wife at her class reunion. She's a Cedar Rapids Jefferson grad, and I actually, I actually am an alum of Jefferson in a way. I actually graduated from Newton High School, but I taught for two years at Cedar Rapids Jefferson, so uh, back in the 90s. So I'm familiar with the school. We had a great time uh, sitting around, having fun with some old friends of Stacy's that she's known since grade school, and, and there was laughter, and there was fun, and there was reminiscing, and there was dinner. And, and at some point in time after dinner, they showed a slideshow. Uh, they had two screens just like we have and started playing some music and they started scrolling through pictures of individuals from the class of 1983 who had passed on and all of the sudden it went from one song to two songs and it's like there's a lot of dead people in this class this is really sobering I mean you know it's it's, you're in a celebration, and now you're like, holy cow, we're all going to die. <laughs> like, like that sh- is news to anyone. But that's why Solomon said in Ecclesiastes in chapter, chapter 7, uh, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, for this is the all, end of all mankind, and the living should lay it to heart. Here's the deal. If you're not prepared to die, you're not prepared to live. And when Jesus comes, when Jesus comes, he comes to bring a kingdom. 
to, to invite humanity into a new kind of humanity where each individual soul lives and fulfills the potential for which God has created them. And if you're not prepared to meet Jesus, you're not prepared to live. So Jesus invites us in the Gospel of Mark, Matthew, Luke, John, from Genesis to Revelation and every verse in between, to embrace him as the sovereign king of the universe and find our place in his kingdom. And that's what we're going to do as we open up the book of Mark. This morning as we look at the introduction, the first few verses, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. When Mark says the beginning, he's not talking about the beginning as in the first few months, which is what we'll actually see here in, in, the, uh, in the first few verses. He's talking about the beginning as in the totality of his gospel from the first chapter to the last chapter of Mark. This is the beginning. And then, then Acts is the continuation. And then we're still in it. This is the beginning of the gospel, the good news. The good news. That's what the word beginning means. The gospel is the story of salvation of Jesus. Mark, just by way of introduction, he is an apprentice, if you will. He is not an apostle, but he was with Peter. And, and this is by church tradition. Often it's, it's believed to be, uh, Mark nowhere mentions himself in the gospel, but church tradition holds that this is Peter's account, eyewitness account, as written by Mark. So consider Mark like Peter's apprentice, and he took notes, and then he shared Peter's account of the life of Jesus to all of us. Now, Mark's style of writing, it's different than John's, it's different than Matthew's, it's different than Luke. He's very brief. He's very punctual. He doesn't necessarily tell us a lot of what Jesus taught. He just tells us what Jesus did. So you're going to see the person of Jesus in the writings of Mark. Mark is, is, is like, this is Jesus. This is his actions. This is his character. And if we believe... And if we follow, then he will utterly transform our lives and we will experience the kingdom of God here on earth. Not just, it's not just you won't be ready to die. You'll be actually prepared to live, live for his glory and for his honor. So here's what we're going to look at. The first, th the three things we're going to see in, in verses actually 1 through 13 uh, we'll end with 14, which we've actually been covering the last four or last three weeks. So, Three things. First of all, John's preparation. That is, John the Baptist, not the apostle. John's preparation. It's all about preparation. That's what we're looking at. Preparing for the kingdom of God. John lays out the groundwork. He prepares the people of Israel. And then Jesus' preparation. Jesus had to undergo preparation before he was ready to preach, before he was ready to do his miracles, before he was ready to call people to follow him. He had to prepare himself. And then lastly, we're going to, we're going to evaluate each of you as individuals. I cannot respond for you. You cannot respond for me. But each of us as individuals will have to decide, what am I going to do with this Jesus? What am I going to do with this Jesus? When he says, repent and believe the gospel, am I going to turn? Am I going to follow? Or am I going to just wave as he goes? 
You'll have to make that decision for yourself, and so will I. So please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Let's pray and get to it. Father, we thank you for your love, that you loved us enough to give us your only Son. Thank you that you have sent your Holy Spirit. Thank you that your Spirit has inspired Mark to write down Peter's account, the eyewitness account of the words and the teachings and the actions of Jesus. Father, we pray that you would use this record, your record of your son's work, Lord, to stir our hearts to repentance and belief and to fruitfulness. Lord, we pray this, that Christ might be exalted and that we might be changed. Lord, I pray for each individual, including myself, Lord, that we would bear fruit for you, that you might be glorified in all that we say, all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, let's take a look. First of all, John's preparation. Verse 2, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Both Matthew, Mark, and Luke point to the preaching of John the Baptist as being a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. First of all, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, and also Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. That, that section right here in your Bible, let me get to Mark here, where it's in quotations, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. That's a quote from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. That is a quote from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. Now I'm going to actually go to Isaiah 40, verse 3, and I'm going to read just a little bit more of what's not quoted here so you get an understanding of what John the Baptist is saying out in the wilderness to the people of Israel who are coming out to hear him. Now understand, there's been 400 years of silence. They've been awaiting the coming of the Messiah. There has not been an old Testament prophet. There's just been silence. And they've been anticipating the rescue, the deliverance of their people. And now all of a sudden this weirdo dressed in camel's hair with a leather belt and eating bugs comes out and starts preaching as just like the Old Testament prophets. He is in a line. He's the last of the Old Testament prophets. And what is his message? His message from Isaiah 40 verse 3, a voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Stop. Lord here in Hebrew is Yahweh. This isn't prepare the way for some dude. This isn't prepare the way for the next king of Israel. This is prepare the way for Yahweh, the creator of the universe. And that's what they heard. John the Baptist, this eccentric guy, is saying, God is coming. Get Ready. Now, what does he say? Make straight in the desert the highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall be kept level, the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That's his message. Get ready. Prepare yourselves because. Yahweh is going to dwell among us. And each one of you, each one of us, is going to give a reckoning. Prepare. That's his message. That's his message. His baptism. 
Verse 4, John appeared baptizing. Baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. This is interesting because this is not a common Jewish practice. The only people that were baptized in Israel were Gentiles who desired to become Jews. They had to undergo circumcision if they were male, but they also had to undergo a ritual cleansing. Jews didn't get baptized. They were already Jews. But now all of a sudden, this Old Testament prophet comes to Israel and he says, oh no, I don't care if you're a child of Abraham or not. That's not going to save you. You each individually, all of you need to repent. And you all need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Now that's not the same thing as Christian baptism in the way that we talk about it, in the way that where Jesus says in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that later. But this is, this is just simply acknowledge the fact that you are filthy and you need a bath. Morally. Your heart is unclean. That's what he's saying. You see, John the Baptist, he's just, he's just not very seeker sensitive. He doesn't care. He's not worried about whether or not you or the Israelites approve of him. He knows that Yahweh's coming and there's going to be a recompense for sin. His only concern is that the people that are listening understand that they are going to stand before a holy and a just God. And they themselves are sinful and rebellious. This is a call to individual repentance. This is a call to national repentance. He is just like Isaiah. He's just like Elijah. He's just like Ezekiel. He's just like all of those prophets who were revered after they died. But in the time they came, they were thought to be eccentric, weirdos, who just didn't get along well with people. They didn't care about what people thought of them because they were concerned with the hearts of man that those hearts would be soft and repentant and that they would give themselves to God. And so he calls people to repentance. He calls people to repentance. Now, his message is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, his baptism symbolized the cleansing of sin. No one who was baptized actually was cleansed from their sin. What that signified is that the individuals who were baptized recognized that they had fallen short of the glory of God and that if they were to stand before a holy God and a just God in that moment, they could not stand. Now, who were the people that were baptized? It's not a trick question. It's whoever felt the weight of their sin. Who were the people who were not baptized? Whoever didn't feel the weight of their sin. That's why the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they came out and they watched John the Baptist and they questioned him, who are you to tell us that we need to repent of our sin? Who are you to tell us that we were already Jews? Why should we be baptized? And then John the Baptist, he just let him have it. He let him have it. Listen to what he said to those who would not be baptized. This is from Matthew chapter 3, 
verse 7 through 10. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming, coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers. He failed to read how to win friends and influence people. <laughs> Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves that we've got Abraham as our father. I tell you that God is able to raise from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that therefore does not bear good fruit is cut down and will be thrown into the fire. Who is this message for? Anyone with ears to hear and eyes to see. There's no one exempt He's preparing the way. He's saying, fill up the valleys and tear down the mountains. Make straight for the way of the Lord. Yahweh's coming. You're all going to stand before him and you're all going to give an account for every thought, every deed, every inclination of your heart. You're going to give an account for all of it. So don't come to me and talk about your religiosity. Don't come to me and tell me that you went to church on Sunday morning every day since you were a kid. Don't come to me and tell me you were a deacon. Don't come to me and tell me that you were an elder. Don't come to me and tell me you're religious. Because he's coming. And you better bear fruit in keeping with repentance. How many of you are thinking to yourself, I wouldn't want to have lunch with this guy. He's scary. You know what he does? He lives in a perpetual state of knowing that we all are going to die. And that we're all going to stand before the God who made us. John the Baptist doesn't live in this delusional world where he's on Facebook and he's watching the news and he's watching Netflix, numbing himself to the reality that we're all going to stand before our God. He lives in the presence of God and he recognizes that everyone is unaware of that he's coming. So there's a sense of urgency that maybe most of us don't have. Because he knows on his heels is the one who's coming to baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit. So, that's his baptism. But there's a dilemma. There's a dilemma. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and he wore a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he said... He preached, saying, After me comes one who's mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In other words, listen, I dunked you in the Jordan. You're going to be clean for, I don't know, a couple hours. And then you're going to get dirty again. This baptism is preparation for the one who's going to come, who's going to baptize you into the Holy Spirit. You are going to be immersed into the triune God. You are going to experience the presence of the living God. This is why in, a, in, in Matthew, in the, in the early parts of his gospel, in the Christmas story, he says that God, it will be the, 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 this child among us will be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God is coming. He's going to dwell with us. He's going to dwell in us. You're going to be baptized into the Holy Spirit. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Before we get to the next section here, just a, a quick word. Um, his baptism, it prepared, but it did not provide forgiveness. It prepared people to receive forgiveness, but it did not provide forgiveness. It prepared people to be empowered, but it did not provide power. 
He is the last in the line of an old, along Old Testament prophets. And here's, here's the way their, their message works. God's holy. You're not. Stop sinning and follow him. Okay, now, in a sense, that is just and it's right and it's good. But what's the problem with that message? You don't have the ability. Every Old Testament prophet that said, repent, repent, leave your sins behind, they were right in doing so, but no one was able to do it. Or if they did, they did it partially at best. And, and then they would go to the temple and they would offer sacrifices. And those sacrifices, they wouldn't actually atone for sin, but they symbolized something that would later. And, and John's baptism is, is no different. John's baptism prepares people. It doesn't actually wash them from their sins. Remember, this is all about preparation. John is all about preparing the way. He's not the Messiah. The, the, the Pharisees asked, are you the Messiah? No, I'm not. I'm just here to prepare the way for the one who's going to come later that's going to baptize you into the Holy Spirit and with fire. I'm not the guy. Not him. And so I want you to understand that at this point in time in the sermon, if you feel a weight of, of conviction for your sin, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And by the way, that will hurt that will hurt. When someone or the Holy Spirit makes you aware that you're going to stand before a just and a holy God and you're going to have an account for every thought, every deed, every action, that should cause consternation in your heart. And, and it might cause guilt. It might cause even shame. And those are all negative feelings. And you want to run from that. And, the, and when a messenger like John the Baptist comes, you think, he's not very nice. He's hurting me. He's wounding me. It's because he loves you. It's because I love you. I'm going to tell you the truth. And when you hear that truth, it might cause despair. And if we stop here, it will cause despair. Why? You don't have it in you to actually change. You, you don't. You don't. I, and I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just telling you the truth. Jeremiah said, he asked rhetorically, how can a leopard change its spots? It can't. Leopard can't change its spots. An alcoholic can't not want the bottle. A sect addict can't not want that which is forbidden for them. A narcissist can't not want them to be the center of attention. That's just the way sin works. You and I have the ability to recognize the consequences of our sin, but we have no ability to change ourselves. And so if we stop right here with John's baptism, it will lead only to despair or Phariseeism. You'll find the nearest pool of water, you'll get baptized and you'll call it good and your heart will be exactly as filthy and as dirty as it was before you went in the water than you came out. And you're thinking, gee, many Christmas, I didn't come to church to get beat about the head and shoulders. No, you didn't. But here's the thing. If someone goes to the doctor and they have a terminal diagnosis and the doctor doesn't have the guts to tell them that it's terminal, they won't seek treatment. John the Baptist has that kind of courage. Every single person here is going to face their maker. You might be 80, you might be 8. But sooner or later, it's going to be you that's going to put six feet under and you are going to stand before a holy and a just God and you are going to give an account for every thought Every deed, every action. 
And you don't have it within you to stand on your own. And John is preparing Israel to take this seriously. But it's not enough. And that's why Jesus has to prepare. He says, there's going to come one whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Well, here he is. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased. Okay, how many of you right now are, are, there's just a little bit confusion. Any of you? None of you. Great. Let's skip this part then. No. Here's the deal. If you're following along, you're thinking, wait, wait, what? Why is Jesus getting baptized by John? I thought this was a baptism for repentance. Why is Jesus, who the scriptures say is without sin, being baptized for the forgiveness of sin? Does, Does anyone find this to be unusual? If, if you're thinking it's unusual, you're in good company because so did John. Mark doesn't record this, but Matthew does. Here's what John says to Jesus when Jesus comes and says, I want to be baptized. John's like, John would have prevented him saying, I, wait, what? No, no, no. I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now for thus is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. And then John reluctantly consented. What's going on? John recognizes that Jesus doesn't need to enter the Jordan to repent of his sin because he has no sin to repent of. But Jesus insists. What's he doing? Do you know what solidarity is? Solidarity is when you enter into an identity with someone else on their behalf. John says that the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. Literally, it means he tented with us. He tabernacled with us. God who is sinless, God who is spirit, became flesh. He took on a humanity that he might dwell among us. And he entered into humanity, into the dirt, into the slime, into the muck. He became one of us. He is being baptized to identify with sinners. To say, I'm one of you. I'm distinct. I'm not sinful, but I identify with you. And I will identify with your sin. His baptism is not for the remission of sin or the repentance of sin. His baptism is to identify with all those other sinners, dirty people that went into the water. He says, I'm one of you. I've come to save you. I've come to rescue you. I've come to call you. I've come to bear your sin. I've come to be sin on your behalf that you might become the righteousness of God. To quote Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. But that's not enough. It's not enough that he identify with us in our humanity. He has to experience what we experienced. And that's why in verse 12 and 13, right after he's baptized, right after the the Spirit descends upon him, right after the Father proclaims from heaven, this is my Son with whom I'm well pleased, it says the Spirit, which Spirit? The Holy Spirit did what? Drove him out into the wilderness to be what? 
to be tempted. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. Satan, the Greek word, it means the accuser. The accuser. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering him. Matthew chapter 4 blows this section up a lot more. and We actually hear the dialogue between the accuser and between Jesus. How he tempted him and what way he tempted him. How he resisted that temptation. But Mark suffices to say, you need to understand this. He was tempted in every way, just as you and I are tempted. He identifies with you in your sin. You say, well, that's all fine and good, but he has never experienced the temptation that I have experienced. Oh, no, 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 no. He's experienced it to the nth degree more than you and I have ever experienced it. You say, well, how so? He never buckled to it. How many of you recognize that temptation feels strongest when you actually resist it? Have you, have you experienced? I mean, viscerally, you can experience this. When you are fighting it, it's just unbelievable. But the moment you give in, it's just like, woof, just get run over. It's kind of like when you're walking against the wind, 40 mile an hour wind, and you're, you're, you're standing up into it. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to kill you. But if you just lay down and give in, well, it just goes right over you. Jesus never bowed. Jesus never buckled. The weight of temptation that you have felt in pride, in greed, in lust, in every aspect of your humanity. Jesus has been tempted in every way. Hebrews chapter 4 says it this way. The author of Hebrews says this in, in chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness. But we have one in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that me, we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. These first 13 verses in the Gospel of Mark show you how John prepared Israel and how Jesus prepared himself. Jesus prepared himself by identifying with sinners and allowing himself to experience what every single one of us have experienced only infinitely more strong. And yet he was without sin. He knows your temptations. He knows your weakness. And what, is, what does Hebrews say? He sympathizes. When he looks at you as you're struggling, he's not thinking, oh, I am disgusted with how weak and pathetic you are. You know what he's saying in the midst of your strongest temptations? I understand. I've been there. Trust me and turn to me. I've been there. I identified with you in your sin. I became sin on your behalf. And I understand what it means to be tempted. That's preparation. Now we're left with how will we respond. After his preparation, he appeared after John was arrested. And Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the good news, the gospel of God. Saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The preparation is done. Everything that needs be done has been done. When he hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. There's nothing left for Jesus to do. Nothing. And yet, there's still preparation going on. You say, how so? The fact that you're sitting here is evidence that the Holy Spirit is preparing you for the gospel. 
I don't know how or why you came here, but I know this, the Holy Spirit was involved. Why? Because the Holy Spirit wants you to repent, to change, to turn from, from the, 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 the life that you've been living and understand that someday you're going to be that slide at your class reunion. And he's calling you to turn from following your own inclinations. Have you ever, we just talked about this in 7.30 prayer this morning. As someone was praying, they're saying, Lord, you know those t-shirts that people wear, those slogans, follow your heart. No! No! Don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus. Well, follow your heart if your heart's following Jesus. I mean, if God gives you the inclination and desires of your heart, if your heart aligns with God's heart, well, then follow the heart of God. But that's the essence of sin, is to go your own way. There is a way that seems right to man, Proverbs chapter 14 says. But in the end, therein is death. Jesus is saying, listen, there is a way that seems right. I know that. That's the message of the serpent in the, gar- in the garden. Turn from the way that you have declined, er, charted out for yourself and follow me. Follow me. And here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus identifies with you in your sin. He's not asking you to be perfect. He's asking you to recognize that you're not. He's not asking you to wash away your sins. He's asking you to enter into a relationship with him so that he can wash your sins. John's baptism prefigured what Jesus would do in reality. And Jesus says, I will take away your sins. When John saw Jesus... Walking down the banks of the Jordan, this is in John chapter 1. He pointed to Jesus and he pointed to his disciples. He said, look, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came into the world to take away sin. Jesus came in the world to be good news. He is good news, to give you himself, Emmanuel, God with us. And he atones for sin and he gives us his Holy Spirit. Peter says in Acts chapter 2, when they ask, what should we do? Peter says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. For this promise is for you and for all generations to come that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus doesn't tell you, stop sinning. Jesus says, I atone for sin and I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. My Holy Spirit is going to live within you. He's going to give you a new heart, a new spirit, and write his laws upon your heart that you might live for him who died for you. You can't change, but Jesus will change you. I think back to when I first heard the gospel. What a knucklehead. I had no aspirations to preach the gospel. I just wanted to be cleansed of my sin. But God has changed me and is changing me day by day. And he will change you and he will change you day by day. And he will wash you. He will cleanse you. He will give you his righteousness. He will give you forgiveness. He will adopt you as a son, as a daughter. And he will give your life purpose and you will begin to live your life in such a way that you'll see how it all fits together in eternity. That everything that we do here and now determines how we will experience eternity. And that he came to proclaim a kingdom and we are his ambassadors. He's going to return. 
And the question is, how are we going to respond? For some of you, you're not sure what to believe about Jesus. And your response, if you're not sure what to believe about Jesus, is to investigate. To keep coming to the Mark series. To start reading the Gospel of Mark. To start reading in the New Testament. To understand who Jesus is. Some of you, you already know who Jesus is, but you're toying around. You're not following yet. You haven't been baptized. You're like, well, I don't know what that's all about. Well, go to our website, graceb3.org slash next. I don't know what step you need to take, but I know this. You need to repent. You need to believe, to trust him. And that, that follows with, I'm going to make a declaration of my faith through believer's baptism so that I identify with him the way he identified with me. See, that's what Christian baptism is. Christian baptism is I identify with Jesus who died on the cross, who was buried and was risen again. And Christian baptism is I identify with Jesus and I'm going into the water to signify my death. I'm going to be buried in the water to signify my burial. And I'm going to come out of the water to signify that I am raised again in the newness of life to walk with Jesus. And that's what Christian baptism is. It's different than John's baptism. They're not the same. Apples to oranges. One signifies union with Christ. The other signifies, I need to take a bath because I'm dirty. So follow him. Get involved. You don't follow Jesus as an individual. I mean, you do, but you don't. When you start following Jesus, guess what? You're going to look around you and the people to your right and your left, they're going to be following too and they need your encouragement and you need their encouragement. And you're going to find that the Holy Spirit has given you himself and the Holy Spirit has given you gifts that he expects you to use in the body of Christ to build up others in the body of Christ. You say, well, I don't know how to get involved in the body of Christ. Graceb3.org slash next. Get involved. You say, I don't have a computer. Well, here's an idea. Come talk to me after the service. I'll tell you how to make the next steps. Or go talk to someone in the information booth. What do I do to get involved? Everybody has a next step. I don't know what your next step is. But the Holy Spirit does. And if you need to know what the Holy Spirit wants you to do, ask, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then when you hear the Holy Spirit's voice and you hear that leading, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And if you do, you'll begin to experience the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the sending of your son. There's not a person here who is worthy of your, your grace. There's not a person here who deserves it, and yet you give it freely. Thank you, Jesus, for identifying with us as sinners. Thank you for being tempted in every way, just as we are tempted. I pray, Father, that you would give the gift of grace and faith this morning for person, many people here this morning, all of us, some for the first time and others for, the, for whatever step of faith you want us to take next. Lord, we ask that you would give us the courage and the faith to step that we might live to honor you who died for us. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless, go in grace, and we will see you next week.